Hey, this is Zay Smallman, and you're listening to episode 8 of I Guess We'll Do It That Way. Today, we're talking about self-doubt and what it's like to invite rather than run away from judgment. I Guess We'll Do It That Way is presented by Mama Bear Studios. Mama Bear's mission is to create entertaining works of art that explore our humanity. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Okay, here's episode 8. Hey Zay, what's going on, my dude? Hold on, I'm I'm looking for a little thing that I need to open the episode. Oof, these are bad. These are really bad. Well, I tried. I was gonna open the episode with a knock knock joke, John, to, uh, to give you a joke to make you laugh, mm-hmm. to make you loose, loose and light. But it didn't work, and now I'm extremely tense. But you know what would have made you more tense if I told you one of those absolutely garbage knock knock jokes I was finding online. So uh, I was at my doctor recently and you know doctors have um, a lot of stories about people and maybe a trigger trigger warning here this is slightly graphic but probably nothing. Mm-hmm. You're on the internet you've heard worse. Mm-hmm. Let's just put it that way. So But it's kind of you to warn people. Yeah, grandma stop listening. So there is a thing where doctors have to take stuff out of people's rear ends for whatever reason. Have you ever Very heard of Very true. Oh, oh, for sure. My wife has done it. Gross. She's a nurse, but yeah, she's done some gnarly stuff. I thought you meant she had to... Gotcha. She was on the <laughs> pulling end, not the pushing end. She was on the extraction team. Gotcha. Yes. Ooh, that's that's good. All right. I love that your response was gross. Well, I had a very like, different picture in my mind. I thought you were sharing a little too much family mm. info. So, Mm-mm. no. My doctor's telling me that um, you know, sometimes this comes up and you got to be pretty delicate, but a guy came in and he had some uh, lettuce sticking out of his rump. <laughs> like, you know, lettuce <laughs> seriously, like lettuce Just stop there. I'm Let- already in. I know. I, I was it like, can't what? get better than that. Well, so the the doctor <laughs> is just he's stunned, you know. He's like, "Man, you got you got lettuce coming out of your rump." And the guy says, "Doc, it's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> Pretty good. That's a very good joke. I actually wow. read that on a like financial news site this morning in the comment section. Mm. Somebody just ripped that out. I'd never heard it. it's delectable. I love that joke. It's pretty good. Well, this is uh, for for those who don't know. This is, I guess, we'll do it that way. A show where John yeah. and I talk about life, movies. And track my progress as I make rollers, which is my first feature as a director. And sometimes we tell jokes. John, I'm just gonna go ahead and I you are probably more optimistic that this will have a ha- this story will have a happy ending. That doesn't sound like me. I, I it is uncharacteristic. I'm a little concerned. I'm I'm not concerned. I'm I'm anticipating the possibility that this show could uh, actually not be the story of how I make a good movie, but rather the story of how I completely blow it. Oh no. But the beauty of it is is that might be more fun to listen to. Maybe. Just me weeping into my mic. Well, I feel like something happened. No, no, no. Things are going great. I'm just uh, okay. having one of those mornings down. where I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Why do I? Why am I doing this? You know? Do you look at anybody else, anybody that you really know, not just some guy who you see driving up in a convertible with a Rolex on, not that guy. No, I hate that guy. But somebody that you know really well, mm-hmm. and you, you've seen the ins and outs of their lives. Are there a lot of people... Who have it figured out? Oh no! Nobody does. No, 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 no. So you're out here. You're you're making a movie. You're mm-hmm. trying to figure it out, mm-hmm. and you either succeed or you fail. But it's mm-hmm. a step in the road, right? Mm-hmm. Where's all this trepidation coming from? 
Hmm. That's a good question. I don't even know. I Okay, so let me let me rewind. I don't even know if I'm necessarily ultra concerned mm-hmm. that I might blow it or that I might find out that I'm not a, a, as good at these things as I would like to think that I am. I think I'm just aware of that as a possibility. Oh, sure. Because you're a thinking person. I'm a thinking person. I'm trying to anticipate the possibility that things may or may not turn out the way that I want. And um, I actually have some uh, I have some peace about that, I think. It sounds like it. It sounds like yeah, it. Yeah, there's a comfort in anticipating the worst case scenario while also hoping for the best. I do this on an interpersonal level. If I have mm-hmm. to talk to people or somebody, I will go through the absolute worst case scenarios in my head. Up to including, like, somebody pulling a gun on me. Sure. And then when none of that happens, and it's civil and easy, it's a breeze. I've already worried. Yeah. Agreed. That's kind of... Well, okay, so let's take a quick let's take a quick pause. I'm interested in this topic, and I kind of want to just keep talking about this. I came into this thinking we were going to talk about locations. We can get there. Yeah, but I feel like locations is going to be kind of a big topic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if we get there, we get there. If not, we'll get there next week. How do you feel about that? You know me. All right. Then let's go with the flow because, you know, there's actually some interesting stuff. We had Hunt Hunter of David's son. Mm. Uh, you remember right in, was it last week? And um, he said something to the effect of, how do you know when a movie's done? How do you know when it's time to say this is as good as it's going to get? Right. That to me is a super compelling question. You just stick a fork let's in st- it. What does stick a fork in it mean? Should I know that? You've never heard that phrase? Does that mean like to, to eat it? Like it. stick a it's fork done. in it, pick it up, put it in my mouth, exactly. chew it, swallow. Yeah, I mean, that's what you would think. But, you know, you tell you can tell when a piece of meat is cooked by oh, poking it. Oh, yeah. But see, I try not to actually stick the fork in it rather than prod it. You prod bit. it. Yeah, you don't stick the fork in it. You don't want to make holes. It. No, you don't. I'm, well, if you have like a pulled pork type situation, eh, it's mm-hmm. no big deal. You're mm-hmm. going to shred it most likely anyway. You're going to be fine. But yeah, you got a steak. You're not going to poke it. What are you, an idiot? Don't poke it. I mean, crazy if you poke it. Don't pierce it, y'all. Don't pierce. You don't want a bunch of holes letting all them delicious juices out. Real quick steak tip. Am I allowed to do this? Oh my gosh, of course, John. It's only a matter of time before we start a <laughs> cooking podcast for sure. Okay, so this is a little pro tip. Makes you look fancy. Mm. Uh, well, it's actually two tips in one. You're going to get two for the price of one. Okay, the first, when you're making a steak, take some butter. Take a whole stick of butter. Melt it in a pan. Mm. You skim off. A whole stick? You, you take a whole stick of butter. You stick it in a pan. Wow. You can even do more. In fact, you mm. could do a whole, like, four-pat of butter. Holy night. Stick it in a pan. Let it melt completely. Not bubble and boil, just melt. And then you take a spoon mm. and you skim off on the top. There's a white crust. Not crust, but there's a white, like, foamy shit on Ooh. the top. You take all that foam off. Then you're left with, like, a clear oil butter. Yes. yes Gee, yes, we've yes, talked yes. about this before. Yes, you take, oh. You can leave it like that. That's clarified butter. You let it cool. You can put it in a cool container, like my mom at Easter time will melt butter, put it in like a lamb mold, you know. Mm. But you take that clarified butter. I chop herbs. You stick some garlic in there. If you put garlic in, you got to cook it a little bit. Let it cool. Shape it into like a log or something. Leave some fresh herbs in there so you can see them. After you're done cooking the steak, you take a slice of your clarified herb butter and you put it on the top and your girlfriend or boyfriend is going to go nuts. Oh, it sounds so good. The second tip that goes with it is always, I'm giving away all my secrets right here, always make up a fancy name. You have to make it up. But make up a fancy name for whatever dish you do. Mm. So, like, if I were going to make that, this is like a steak frite type situation with a clarified butter. But that's so, 
like whatever everybody's heard that everybody's had that you call it something like uh dude i live on missionary ridge you call it like the missionary ridge never mind you get the idea that just went from yes 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 to no 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 let's move on hey this is life my friends i know that's what might happen with this movie john big build up big letdown what's where is this coming from is this just normal self-doubt well it's a little bit of that i also think missionary ridge mayonnaise that is a horrible i've been talking to a lot of people and 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 i'm even going to open it up audience members all you 10 of you out there if you're feeling this way write in because it's good to know that other people are in the same situation i feel like there's something in the water right now there's crazy amount of change happening all at once and and i just keep talking to different people who are like I feel like I'm at a major transition point in my life and I feel like there's something coming or there's something mm. there's something on a much broader sort of universal level that is being shaken up and mm-hmm. changing. And I don't just mean in politics and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. I have this deep, I wouldn't call it dread at all because it's not dread, but a deep sense of, um, I've, been, I've been reading the book Dune. Have you read Dune? <laughs> I uh, yeah well I started to read it and as soon as they got into that made up language bullcrap I stopped reading it. Are you sure you're not thinking of Lord of the Rings? I same feeling about it. I <laughs> strongly dislike Lord of the Rings. If there's not a made up language in it, I ain't reading it. I I just come on. They speak ninety five percent English, but they call water like Aquadel. Give me a break! Oh my gosh! No 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 no! You're talking about the Fremen. The Fremen speak, they're bilingual. Bro. It's so absurd to me. but It doesn't matter. I started to read Dune because I know it's a classic, and I I think I gave it well, away. That's okay. No one has to finish books they don't like. Yep. This isn't grade school. Point of bringing up Dune, here's the only point of bringing it up. He he, he talks about, because he's kind of this like Messiah figure and all this kind of stuff, and, and I, like most people, eh, I got a little bit of a Messiah complex. I'm willing to admit it. I think I'm way more important than I am. And... um. I think when I read books like that, I, I tend to sort of place myself in his shoes. Anyway, the point is, he, he mentions at certain points, he feels this doom, this weight mm-hmm. of the future on him. Right. And he feels like something is coming, like he's pre- being prepared for something. And I kind of just, I feel like I keep talking to people who just, in some form or another, feel like this is the lead up to something as opposed to sort of the thing itself. And, and I mean that in a sense that is different than we're always in transition. Our lives are always evolving. Things are always changing. That's a given. It's different than that. It's, it's a deeper, more mysterious feeling. Does that make any sense at all? I feel like yes. I'm totally okay. Well, I have a couple thoughts about this. So I was driving home today and I heard on public radio they don't do ads. They do underwriting, which is a joke because it's an ad. I, I, is, let's pause. Is NPR really going to do like some intense investigative journalism of Kaiser Permanente or something like that? <laughs> right. Of yeah. course they're not. Well, no. you know, we Let, say yeah, that, right. but but famously, and this actually ties, ties into Chattanooga, um, there was a company, Archer Daniel Midland, ADM, that had that. Oh, yeah, the, the wheat. Yep, yeah, they had a big scandal, and they are a huge, or at least they used to be, a huge underwriter of NPR. And This American mm. Life did a huge expose of them. Okay. And, th- and they started the episode by saying they are a major underwriter of NPR in this show, but here we go. I take it back. I was proud of them. I don't know if I don't know what happened after no, that's, that. No, that is very admirable. Mm-hmm. Ira Glass, 
You used to be a great, great man. <laughs> and now, here we are, buddy. Move aside. We're coming for you, Ira. So I heard Get on NPR, in one of their little ads this morning, was uh, it was for a gala, a G-A-L-A, that a local food bank was having, right? To celebrate their mm-hmm. like great success in doling out food to poor people. And the theme of their gala, or gala, if you will, was the Roaring Twenties. They're going to have cocktail party, flapper dresses, mm. the whole thing. And I heard that and I thought, the irony, mm. there, there's almost too much irony. Mm-hmm. This feel, It feels like an onion art. Yeah. So you're going to celebrate giving food to poor people <laughs> by dressing up and representing a time of extreme excess that resulted oh or that, that sort of peaked in the Dust Bowl, the Great Depression, World War II. That's how you're going to celebrate wow. your success. It seemed bizarre to me. That's so weird. It seemed very bizarre. And it's almost like without choice. realizing it, they are signaling the reality that income mm. inequality has never been higher. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not even talking a. Pol- it's not a political No, 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 no. This is a state. This just, is a fact. It's just reality. There is a wide chasm between rich and poor. Yep. The market is going absolutely bananas. Uh, somebody sent me a chart this morning of the number of days that the previous bull markets, the extent of previous bull markets, and we're at the we're tied for the absolute longest bull market. It's like 3,500 days or something like that. Whoa. And you just look at something like that and you're like, this mm-hmm. has got to change. This is going to change mm-hmm. and it's going to be painful. Right. And again, you talk to people who aren't referring to any of those things yep. and yet they feel the same type of barreling towards some sort of unknown conclusion about their personal lives completely independently of the national political situation, completely independently of the American economy. And I think that's interesting. I do too. And I I would argue that uh, I think the political realm is just echoing the sort of zeitgeist of America right now. And that is to say people can sense, people feel the upheaval that is coming. And possibly it's because of technology or climate change or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But people feel stuff. Mm -hmm. And they, yeah. whether consciously or unconsciously, they will exhibit behavior based on on this feeling. Well, so one of the things that w- w- one of the things that I think I'm I'm thinking about a lot, and and it kind of relates to all of this. And hey, listeners, I'm sorry if you're bored because we're not making you laugh. But you know what? We're just not always going to make you laugh. I'm interested. John, are you still interested? I got some more lettuce jokes I could tell. All right. Save a lettuce joke for, I think we got probably another three minutes before people start turning it off in three minutes. Let's hear another lettuce joke. How about that? <laughs> I got to come up with I one. Was... <laughs> <laughs> so I'm at my chiropractor. Oh boy. Uh, so, well, okay. So I was, I was sitting at a place uh, that I like to eat sometimes. They do uh, Dooner kebabs. Sorry? That is apparently the pronunciation. I'm sorry. It looks like Doner, Donner, uh-huh. but I was told by the man working it's called Dooner. Dooner kebabs. How is it spelled? It's like, like a, it's a lavash. D O N E R, I think. You know the Donner Party, don't you? Uh, the Donner Party was crossing the transcontinental divide, right? I don't know. I don't know. Why did I even say that? It's an unnecessary detail that I can't confirm. I don't that even, I'm not even choice. positive I know what the transcontinental divide is. I don't even know if I do either. People, Why did I say that? People here always talk about the ridge cut i i literally live seconds a seconds walk 
maybe 45 seconds from where that is, and I oh, have boy. no idea what John, it you're is. you're about to get swamped. <laughs> People are just going to come find you, baby. Yeah, no, good luck. thousands of houses within seconds walk of, of the Ridge Cut. I don't even know um, what that is, though. You're actually not that close to Ridge Cut. Um, Apparently, I know. You're, you're a little further away from there. I know less about it than I thought. Well, I know less about the transcontinental divide than I thought. I don't even know why I chose to say that. The, 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 the Donner Party is... Probably 150 years ago, some people are crossing. They're trying to get to California. They get stuck in a giant snowstorm in the mountains, and eventually they uh, start eating each other for, to survive. And some of them did survive, I believe. That's... Is that is that a proper? Yeah, we'll pull a link to the show notes with the real story. Well, it's just it's one of those cases that enters the the just common speech. You know, whenever you talk about mm-hmm. cannibalism, it's Donner Party. How do we get on Donner Party? It doesn't matter because you were eating Donner I was... samosas. That's what it was. I was not eating samosas. Oh, quick update on the Indian restaurant. Oh, this place is so good. Went back, got non-bean-related things and, and, and less spicy things. I felt felt like a million bucks. Oh, there you go. Beans are bad for me. I'm, I'm a pretty much a zero-bean diet at this point. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they give you much. No, they don't, and, and they really wreck me, unfortunately. Intestinal, um, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not it's not a mystery. I mean, there's an enzyme in beans that your body doesn't can't break down. It's fine, though. Point is, I was eating a donor, Dooner, Donner doesn't matter at a place that i like to go and um they were playing on the tv chive tv are you familiar with chive the chive uh no okay i'll put a link to it all i really know is what i was seeing which was that it was just a series of like compilation videos of people doing things big fail compilations and excellent things like humans are awesome type stuff Mm, you know yeah sure like guy surfing behind a boat and playing ping pong at the same time yeah you know something that takes just a just an unbelievable amount of practice and skill and resources. And usually they're slightly unusual. Very unusual. Anyway, the point is not necessarily to judge those people, but it did leave me thinking, why are they doing those things? You know, are they who is this person who does this crazy unuseful talent, right? Mm-hmm. And there's something beautiful in the idea that maybe they're doing it because they love it and they get fulfillment from doing it. That could be wonderful. What is very depressing thought to me is if they are doing it so that they can be seen on the internet doing it, and the pinnacle, the absolute pinnacle of them doing that skill is being a six-second clip in a compilation video that gets seen by 500,000 people, and they are literally one of 55 people within that compilation. And if that's why they're doing it, that sucks. That's very empty. It depends. I mean, that is, that that's empty for you. I have so many thoughts about this. One, I think most— Well, but I'm curious because my point is I, I'm not saying it's bad for them to do it because if they like it, but I think there are a lot of people out there who they are doing it not because it's fun for them and they just happen to be recording. They're trying to think of things that they can do that no one else has done just sure. so that they can get seen, but I just don't see the point of that. There's a lot of that. I mean— but before I say that, what I'm going to say, I think most of those people, I think it's pro- actually probably 50-50. I think 50% are fame seekers, but I think the other 50% are just uncles. Mm. Dude, when you're an uncle, like uh, every time I see my nieces and nephews, I'm always trying to think of wacky stuff to entertain them. Mm-hmm. And they don't live with me. Like you do wacky stuff around your kids and like they've seen it before. They've seen your dance moves. They don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, by the time they're 10, they're like, whatever, man. You can still make them laugh and stuff, but it's a job. But your nieces and nephews who you rarely see who think you're cool, 
you like I was juggling water balloons mm-hmm. and I, the only reason I can juggle is because I'm an uncle mm-hmm. like I sort of learned when I was a kid but I perfected the three ball juggle so I could impress my nieces and nephews and I do it every time I see them and they love it every single time they're blown away okay but 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 John no offense I'm not talking about three ball juggling bro yeah but I don't I'm have as much time like... in my hand so the guy the mm-hmm. guy who for the first time he did the surfboard behind the boat right and the, the mm-hmm. nieces and the nephews went crazy. And he was after he did it like six times, he's like, I got to take this to the next level. And he's pretty good I at hope, ping yeah. pong and he incorporates it and boom. You got yeah, a bit. I got no problem with that. That sounds like the right reason to do it. Anyway, part of the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think I had this moment of clarity where I realized I don't want to make things that I don't want to make. Mm-hmm. I, and, and, and I want to say right now, this is coming clearly from a, a, a place of great privilege in a sense that I even get to have any say whatsoever. Right. I pictured a girl. I, I picture some girl in Bangladesh listening to this as she stitches Nikes. Like, oh, you don't want to make stuff you don't want yeah, to? Yeah, exactly. Cool. No, no, no. I, I Here's the thing. I am so aware of how privileged I am and I try not to be feel guilty about it, wait, but wait, at the wait. same time, are it's you, a reality. Are you white? I'd rather not say. That's a smart move. Point is, I'm incredibly privileged compared to almost everyone else in the world, and I acknowledge that here and now, and I'm thankful for that because I get to take risks, I get to make choices, I get to try things, I get to fail, I don't end up homeless because I failed once, all that kind of stuff. But given that, I think I have a responsibility to use that well, to use the time that I've been given well, to use the resources and the privilege that have been given to help other people and all those kinds of things. But I just realized, not just from watching those chai videos, although I think that was a a good sort of way to crystallize it in my mind, but I just realized like, well, if it's movies, if it's anything, a TV show, this stuff is just kind of too hard. It takes too much, you know, it, it it's too, it's too, it's not just too hard to make a living, but it, it it's like, if you're lucky enough to be, to be making a living, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to actually have any sort of a balance in your life. And so I just began to realize that like, the only reason that's worth it is if I'm actually making stuff that I really care about, you know? Sure. I mean, I don't want to wake up and realize I'm in the hamster wheel. Well, you are. I mean, you're you're on Earth, you know? Yeah. Let me list out, like, let's say you make the movie. Yeah, let's talk some specifics. Yes, yeah, exactly. So you come, to, you come to conclusion, and it gets reviewed. You get five reviews, mm-hmm. and each one is like, this is trash. Mm-hmm. Like, we, you know, whatever. It's just, they're terrible. Every single review is terrible. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? First of all, I'm sure I would feel horrible. I'm sure, sure. I would be but, utterly devastated. But would this constitute a failure in your mind? Basically, I think the first question that I would need to ask myself in that case is, who was I making the movie for and what kind of movie was I trying to make? Because if I was making a movie with certain goals, such as to do something that intentionally doesn't fit any sort of a framework that any sort of a critic would be judging the movie through then it's difficult to say that them hating it would be a failure. Mm. Now, I can say pretty confidently that that isn't the goal and that I am trying to make a movie that connects with a broad audience, that connects with a lot of people that critics theoretically would like based on the criteria that it seems like they tend to judge popular movies with. So in that sense, yeah, yeah, that would be a failure and it would be devastating. But I don't know that I would take that as a failure of myself mm-hmm. as a human. I think it would mean I need to do some soul searching. I need to I need to talk to some people I trust and say, should I try this again? Should I try to do it better next time? Should I take the lessons that I learned and make a better movie next time? Or should I take this as a sign that maybe I'm just not a good director? Yeah. And and that maybe I should find a different career. 
I think a lot of people's tendency is to never put themselves in a position where they'll have to find out mm. this isn't for me. I, I, most people haven't necessarily done what you've done in the sense that a lot of people just find themselves into a, in a career. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily what they decided to do or want to necessarily do, but there they are. Mm-hmm. But I think most people or a lot of people will put themselves in positions where they'll never find out if what they're doing is terrible. Right. I mean, I, I do that. I think a lot of people do. Except this podcast. <laughs> Hate to break it to you, John. It's bad. No, I know. Uh, but so you're going to find out. Yeah, I mean, you will find out mm-hmm. in just a few short months. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? I don't know. When does that process stop? Like my Never. spouse, but but specifically like my, my spouse puts on shows, right? Mm-hmm. And you know when that's over. You strike the set, you have a cast party, it's done. And then you can start, like what a lot of people do, they get sad. You know, mm-hmm. they're done performing. They've spent months working up to this big production. Mm-hmm. It's very cathartic. You're performing. And then, boom, there's like a huge crash. Your purpose has been pulled mm-hmm. in a sense. Is there a moment? Because this is an ongoing thing. Like you're going to be checking. Let's say the movie came out tonight. You're going to be mm-hmm. checking reviews. You're going to be checking sales for months, maybe years. Mm-hmm. When do you get the feeling? I mean, when do you, when is the process over? When would you even start the next cycle? Well, in a way, I'm starting the next cycle now, you know? I mean, I'm writing other things. I'm thinking about what my follow-up project would be. I'm still producing other projects. I I think that is one of the biggest mistakes a filmmaker can make is thinking that any one project is going to be the project. Sure. Not only because it probably won't be the project, but because even the project, the one that makes your career, only makes your career if you have another project to do. And I've seen so many people go to a festival or have their first movie come out and they don't have another script ready. They don't have any sense of what they're going to do next. And the letdown is hard. Sure. But then that brings up a whole nother question, which is how do you do that without completely losing sight of what you're working on now? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I actually have a quote. I, I, I heard this quote the other day, and I kind of wrote it down because I thought it was really interesting. Do you mind if I read it? Please do. It's uh, Walker Percy, you know, the novelist. Mm. Um, it's from a book called, one of his novels called The Second Coming. Oh, yeah. He says, how did it happen that now he could see everything so clearly? Something had given him leave to live in the present. Not once in his entire life had he come to rest in the quiet center of himself but had forever cast himself from one dark past he could not remember to a future that did not exist. Not once had he been present for his life, so his life had passed like a dream. Is it possible for people to miss their lives the way one can miss a plane? Whoa. And I think the answer is definitely yes. Isn't that, isn't that deep, Walker dude? Walker Percy's a, a fascinating guy. You, okay, you started the podcast, very first episode, by saying, aren't we a little in, late to the podcast game? Yeah. And I think that is a, an incredibly insightful question that really gets at the heart of all of this, which is, are we late to all the games? Does what we do matter? And what does if, if we answer yes, what does that mean? And if we answer no, what does that mean? I mean, I think that's a huge part of what life is. And I think art, good art, kind of has to reckon with that on some level. It has to understand that those are those are the questions that drive most humans, whether they make art or not, whether they're working on an assembly line or not. And that's why I like that Walker Percy quote. Well, what's the solution? I mean, then you're left. You could be left in my, with the dilemma of constantly worrying 
that you're not doing what you should be, that you're not utilizing mm. your time the best possible way. Yeah, and I think that's not the solution. To me, the solution- It's not the solution, but it could be a by, it's a byproduct of that question, right? Right, okay, so I take that back. Not the solution. I think to me, I don't have a solution or a right answer. I think though, my response would be, do what you do, do it well, and don't worry about what's coming next. You know, don't, as Walker Percy was saying, don't cast yourself from some dark past into a future that doesn't exist. Just freaking be in the moment. I mean, that's part of the reason I started this podcast. I didn't want to make a movie and not even really remember what it was like to make the movie and only be thinking about the next movie. I want to actually make this movie and I want to actually experience the process of telling this story and I want to live in this moment, regardless of where it leads. And so how do I know when it's done? I don't know how to answer that question other than to say, I think cultivating a general level of self-awareness so that when I feel like it's done, I'm able to hear that voice in my head saying it's done and trust it. And what if it's bad when it is done? Then I got to decide what to do. That's that voice. I think, and I heard a really great quote from a director. I can't remember who it was, but he kind of said that like, as a director, so much of what you're doing is making choices. And, and we've talked about this, we've covered this topic a little bit, but I think it's, it's an interesting one that's going to keep coming up. A lot of what you're doing is making choices. It's compromise, like the title of the podcast, whatever. And he sort of says that like, if you have good taste, there is a voice in your head that nags at you when you make a decision and pushes you to say like, that's not as good as it could be. And I think what he was basically saying is that voice, we are very capable of silencing that voice if we ignore it all the time. But we're also very capable of cultivating the voice and making it stronger if we listen to it and we dig in and ask ourselves why it's telling us that something isn't good enough. And I think that could be as simple as, is the camera in the right place? Or was that performance by that actor as good as it could be? Or is there something deeper to, is this script ready to whatever? I think you have to cultivate that voice and allow it to talk to you even when it threatens your status quo. And I think of that in the same way with my life. You know, like I don't want to be like, great, I got my four bedroom house in the suburbs and now I'm good to go and I can coast for the next 60 years. That's it. That's silencing the voice permanently. And that sounds terrifying. Yeah. I, Not that there's anything wrong with a four bedroom house in the suburbs, by the way, but not. don't silence that voice. I said this in front of a I bunch of people. That's okay. I said this in front of a bunch of people. So if you've heard this, I apologize. But uh, the other night I was, you know, getting ready for bed or whatever. And I'm, I was having like, a, you know, an internal dialogue. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I was thinking about some issue that was bothering me or whatever. And I, I'm kind of going through it in my head. I'm sort of talking to myself in my head, you know? Mm-hmm. And at the conclusion of my internal conversation, I just sort of wrapped it up and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Except I said it out loud, you know? Mm. I said like, interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Something like that, you know? But I said it out loud, mm-hmm. very audible. It was unintentional. I wasn't, I didn't mean <laughs> to do it. And my life partner calls over and like kind of, it was like, what? I was like, oh, nothing, you know, and I explained the situation. John, are you afraid of saying the word wife? No, I've already said it. I like life partner, though, because, <laughs> you know, it's, I don't know, it's more. No, I get it. It, it feels color. more intentional. It feels more intentional than just like, oh, we got married. Hey, we're married now. Sign some paperwork. Ugh. 
I got married. She called me out and said I sounded like a crazy person, you know, lightheartedly. But mm, so I you were talking to yourself. Yeah, I talked to myself. Well, you so, do realize you are a crazy person, of course. Who is okay? It? Okay, just making sure we're on the same page. A couple interesting things about talking to yourself. One, it is absolutely no- normal to have an internal monologue, internal dialogue mm-hmm. in your head. This is normal. It's a function of being a human. It becomes abnormal when you hear external voices talking to you. That is mm. to say, like some guy named Bob who wants to kill you is telling is telling you you're a maniac and you deserve to die and all this stuff. That's schizophrenia, right? Mm. Uh, interestingly, though, and that's called an auditory hallucination. Mm. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, no, I'm good. I don't need any eggs. Bob makes me eggs in the morning at about 11 o'clock. That is an example of a schizophrenic auditory hallucination. Oh, no, he's there. But keep with going. Medicine, with medicine, people like you who suffer from this can live a relatively normal life. But anyway, mm. it's interesting because when you look up auditory hallucinations, one thing that will trigger them in a totally normal person, a person who is not schizophrenic, is five cups of coffee or more. Hmm. Caffeine causes auditory hallucination, or it can. Wow, it won't necessarily really? give you them, but yeah, it can absolutely trigger them in people who otherwise would not have them. Wow. There you go, folks. That's kind of amazing that a 13-year-old can buy coffee at Starbucks. Can you? Oh, yeah. You don't see these teeny boppers bopping into Starbucks and getting their peppermint mocha frappuccinos? I guess so. You know, I heard NPR did a story recently about the uh, diversity training that they, d- they had to do at Starbucks recently. <laughs> what a nightmare. My friend goes to that Starbucks all the time because they live in Philly. Oh, really? I got to Before I finish that Starbucks story, I got to read. Uh, so there's a neighborhood email list. You have one of these by you? Um, I bet there is one, but we're not a member of it. I don't bother with that. I just, I gotta, I gotta read one of these for you guys because, you know, they come out and almost always they're like suspicious character near my house, Mm, you know, mm -hmm. but, and this is a suspicious person post. Of course they all are. Suspicious character with dark brown skin. That is almost exclusively (laughs) what it is, except for this one. This is a strange twist on it. This top post here from my neighborhood is strong-looking, dirty young man at my door. <laughs> at your door? At his door. Not my door. A strong-looking, dirty man. Wow. Let him in. Let him Let him have in. his way. Give him a hug. <laughs> Turns out it was a white guy with red hair, but still. <laughs> still. What did he want? Uh, a hug? He needed a hug. I think he wanted eggs. Yeah. Would you, in L.A., in your apartment, would you knock on another person's door that you don't know and ask for flour, sugar, eggs? Oof. No. That used to be a thing that happened in America. I don't even like knocking on my friend's doors without texting mm-hmm. ahead of time. Mm. See, this could explain part in I'm, part. I'm worried I'm going to walk in on them, like, banging in the kitchen or oh, something, you know? Oh, boy. It never happened. Has I don't ever, know. Where, no, it's never happened. I don't know where that fear comes from. Ah, uh, boy. It's totally irrational. My parents, when we when I was a young man, um, oh boy. they had uh, double, you know, French doors. French doors. Are... Oh, I thought you were going to say they had sex. Well, I assume they did, but I don't know. If, well, oh, okay. I do know for certain because when I was a kid, they had these French doors that when you would open them would lead right to their bed. You know, mm. it's like five feet away. And it was the middle of the day. One of my little buddies was over. And um, I opened both those doors because it's the middle of the day, Mm -hmm. you know? 
and I opened the door to ask him if we could go to my grandparents. They lived right around the block, you know. <laughs> so I bust these doors open. Is you know, I'm like 10 years old or whatever. I got lots and lots of energy. <laughs> and uh, got got a little anatomy lesson. Oh boy, John, is your is your, are your parents gonna? be uh, mad that you're telling the story right now i assume they can't listen because they don't know how to use computers okay good then we're safe yeah i think it's fine plus i, th- I mean I it's not like a big surprise that I your parents ass- had sex once in a while it was horrifying i you know i really didn't I'm sure it, it was. wasn't a graphic if anybody's nervous it wasn't graphic they're basically smooching but you know it was smooching yeah. that was going somewhere it mm, was going somewhere until you burst in yeah I, i'm sure i dampened the that, john that could have been the first time they finally found time to to, to make some love in months, and you ruined it. That's why I don't have don't a little know. sister or brother. Oh, my gosh. That was your chance. You blew it. You know, Walker Percy helped get a book published called The Confederacy of Dunces. Have you ever mm, heard of this book? I have heard of it. So this book, real quick, was written by sort of a strange loner guy lived in New Orleans. He wrote this Pulitzer Prize-winning masterpiece, but he could not get it published while he was alive. Mm-hmm. And he I, he committed suicide. His mom found the manuscript, spent a year or years trying to get it published. Nobody would publish it. She finally went to Walker Percy, who was a professor at a school in Louisiana, and he got it published. Mm-hmm. And then it won the Pulitzer Prize. Are there any directors who have made one movie that is an absolute masterpiece and then retired? Mm. First movie is a is just an absolute masterpiece, and then they do nothing else. I don't know. We'll have to do some research. Out. I want to know too. But sometimes that movie that that that's the masterpiece is their third one. You know, and sure, they made two yeah. that were that were pretty dumpy before that. I'm a Fellini fan. He made two movies back to back: La Dolce Vita and Eight and a Half, mm-hmm. and they're absolutely gorgeous, fascinating movies. And the rest of his catalog, I know people are going to get mad. Somebody, Grant Withington or somebody, somebody's going to get mad. But <laughs> the rest of the catalog is trash. Oh, my gosh. Comparatively. That's I mean, insane. if you see those movies, the rest, why bother? Oh, my gosh. That's great. I mean, you're entitled to that opinion, but it's wrong. Write me in, folks. <laughs> Disagree. Yeah, let's hear, oh, yeah. I love these. So I want somebody to bring, oh, yeah, Satyricon, a great movie. Yeah. No. La Strada, maybe. Roma's really good. I just watched Roma recently. Roma's terrific. I think. Part of the problem here is that I've only seen the Dolce Vita in eight and a half. Yeah, I mean, those are the only good ones. I I, I think it's a good question, though, about um, what you were saying, like, when do you stop checking, when are you done, et cetera. You do have to move on from things, but it does take a certain amount of awareness of, is there something left to be gained from this project, or am I just being obsessive? Have you gone back and fiddled with the script? Yeah, yeah, I'm still, I'm still tweaking it. I tweaked it a week ago. And how dramatic and I, I, are these tweaks? Uh, this one was pretty decent size. I mean, I, I'll go ahead and say, basically, in the previous version, the two siblings that own Rollers, the venue, they bought it because their parents passed away. And they grew up there and they loved it. And I I changed it so that, um, because I just kind of had this moment of realization. I was sitting at the beach and just thinking about the, 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 the story and trying to think of how to deepen it and how to make it better. And I realized that part of, I think what was missing was that there just wasn't enough um, kind of emotional history in the place. And I realized that what made even more sense on on many levels that it's kind of hard to explain without going into every detail. But what made a lot more sense is actually that their parents owned the venue, that their parents uh, basically raised them there. 
because they were working so much, you know, kind of like a, and, and so that's part of why it's so important to them and also why it's not, why there's a little conflict around it because there are some, I think, not trauma, but some wounds, you know, like each sibling feels differently about the fact that this place was their life and that it was their parents' life. I have an idea that everybody is sort of trying to recreate their parents' lives. Mm. Not not necessarily the details of it, but the vibe, the vibe of it. You're trying to recreate this. Mm-hmm. And it manifests itself in different ways, but we're all trying to become our parents in various ways. Let's get specific. Do you feel like you're, in what ways, without going into too many personal details about your family that you don't want to go into, do you feel like you're doing that? No, my dad died when I was a little child. Mm. My biological dad. So I'm I'm forging my own path. Mm-hmm. I say lightheartedly, but it is true. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't have uh, all, any of my relatives that I would be able to look to to emulate our they're gone. They're overseas. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in Greece mm-hmm. pig farming. Yeah. So, you know, I have I have an adopted family and I have siblings, but they're not biologically like me. I mean, we're, I, I look at them and I love them, but they're not my my dad is not similar to me mm. almost at all. And we have a really close relationship. He raised me, but we're not similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, for instance, the raising children in a place uh my own kids are, in a sense, spending the majority of their waking life in a school, which is what happened to my spouse, my life mm. partner. She spent most of her life growing up in a school mm. while her parents worked there. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening with my own children. Right. And what's interesting about that is that can be, I think what's hard about life is is that can be great. And it can be challenging because I was in exactly the same situation. I didn't realize that I was writing a movie about a concert venue because I basically grew up in a concert venue. I didn't grow up in a concert venue. I grew up in a church and more, much more specifically, I grew up in the music ministry that my dad talked about last week. And so Mm -hmm. I grew up doing music. I grew up being around my parents who were doing music. I grew up in the building where all of that was taking place. And then I saw all of it change and basically become dismantled because it was time for it to to end and that was that's a lot of things like that's good that's bad it's sad it was hard for me in certain ways it was hard for my parents in other ways and but you're I I, that's a really good observation I don't even think I I I didn't realize it until after. what did your own dad do he told us himself he essentially was the director of all of these moving parts at Sandtown, right? Well, he was the director of, of specifically the music ministry, and then he was involved in sort of the board that oversaw the entire thing. But he was not like the f- CEO of the major organization. Well, I don't want to force the analogy, but it seems like, you know, was he directing music for Sandtown? Oh, yeah, no, and he was kind of running the organization. He was raising money. Right. He was creating sales strategies. He was Sounds familiar. hiring staff. Yeah, exactly. He was creating stuff constantly, you know, constantly putting things out and, and, and finding audiences and going on tour. And But you know what I'm saying? I mean, you can relate because yeah. your family is the bad. same way. You're like, it's not bad. Showbiz is showbiz. You just it, it can be tiny. It can be in a high school. It can be in a church venue, but it's pretty much all the same. Like, it's pretty... You do it, and and I actually get very nostalgic sure. when I've hung out with with your wife while she's doing musicals, and I see your kids poking around. You know, part of me is like, man, 
maybe I should take him to the zoo. <laughs> and then part of me is like, no, man, like I had a blast, like running around these big old buildings and yeah. seeing sets and props. And I, I loved that. Stuff. What if what I, if I kids want a lot of time, but I loved it too. Kids just want proximity. They want to be with you. They want to be near you. Mm-hmm. It's that it's that simple. So whatever you're doing, you have them with you. And if if it's in a school, if you're a, even if you're a janitor, there are people that clean the school and have their kids with them. It's no different. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. It might yeah. feel a little less glamorous, but the kids don't know. No, they don't, and they don't care. Not yet. Wait till they get to middle school. Yeah, middle school is the worst. Um, well, I think this has been uh, this has been a good productive conversation. This has been fun. I feel like Have we're you both. Enjoyed it? I've, well, I I feel a little sad now. I know I'm a little bummed out. But you know what? I mean, the real solution to all of this is just to put one foot in front of the other. Keep going. Uh, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I wanted to conclude it. Is just part of the reason I'm not worried is because I just don't know that our brains are even uh, wired to understand all of these things. I think all we're really supposed to do is ask the questions and the process of the discovery and the process of digging is the point. Mm. The point is not the, where you get. The point of making a movie is to make a movie. That's true. I think. Well, the point of making a movie is to make the best possible movie that you're capable of making. Absolutely. But my point is the point of making a movie, the, the unfortunate reality is that there's a lot of money required to make a good movie. And that's where it gets complicated. But on its purest level, the point of making a movie is to, yeah, to explore the art form and to tell the best story you possibly can through the medium of film. That is the point. That's the goal. You know? So just do that. Yeah, no big deal. It's pretty, it should be easy, right? <laughs> Theoretically. <laughs> I don't know. I feel good though. I feel like I feel like this was an important conversation because I don't know how to talk about how to make a movie without talking about why we're making the movie. And I feel like we're probably going to revisit this many times over the coming years. Yeah, I I, I think this your trepidation, your fear, all, it's it's all normal. It's all natural. Are you trying to say I'm just a, a another run of the mill guy, John? Are you trying to remove my specialness? Oh, what what I was going to say though is to anybody that's listening. <laughs> Go to an older person, say like 75 or older, 70 Mm. or older, whatever. What if they're 69 and a half? Use your best judgment, people. Okay. Go to that person and ask them this question. So, Bob, you're getting towards the end of your life. What do you think? Did you do it right? Mm. And really watch their answer. Not what they say necessarily, because you'll know. Like, oh, yeah. It's been a great life. I got four kids. You know, you're going to get some of that bull crap. But, like, really look at them when they're telling you, and you'll know. Hmm. Most people have not ever been asked this. It's slightly shocking to be asked that question. Mm-hmm. But you'll get some candid responses, you know, depending who you ask. But I've learned mm-hmm. a lot of crazy stuff about people by asking that question. Hmm. Cool. Give it a shot and what, write to What me. about this, John? Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to ask someone else older, write them. I also, I don't think we probably have too many 75-year-olds listening. No, no, but, no, no, no. But we got a 20-year-old guy who knows a 75-year-old no, 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 sure, guy. For sure. Go ask them. No, but see, I want to hear those answers, but I also kind of want to turn this question on you first. I'll answer it, and then I kind of want to wrap up the episode by asking audience, you may be 20, you may be 40, Give us like one to three sentences about why 
you think you are or are not doing it the right way. Mm. It'd be kind of interesting, right? Maybe we read a couple of the answers on air. I don't know. I mean, I would I seriously. I cool. would absolutely love to read these. I really would. I think it'd be super interesting. Because, and again, it, it, this may sound like a weird like tangent, but this is actually so, 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 so central to the theme and the story of rollers that I actually think this is kind of a fun exercise that is weirdly directly related to the actual movie itself, if anyone was wondering. It's, just, it's a fascinating thing, and I would, love to, uh, I would love to read what people think. Yeah. I really would. And I would also say, just for parameters, um, make it as long, as short as you want. Obviously, we may not be able to read super, super long answers, but we do want honest answers. And if you want to um, be anonymous, just say so, and we will gladly keep you anonymous that is not the that's not the point the point is not to connect these things with individual people the point is to understand how other people think yeah yeah but guys the more lurid the better oh for let's get some nasty details (laughs) all right so in the in the remaining two minutes john yeah yeah. let's let's do we got to set the stage baby we can't ask our listeners to do this if we're not going to do it ourselves Uh how do you feel uh, I'm a pessimistic guy. I'm hard on myself. I would say no. My life has been a complete and utter failure with a few exceptions. Um, those exceptions being most of my life. So my family, <laughs> you know, uh, th- right. that is, of course, the most important thing. So, so what you're really saying is your life has been a total failure within about 15%, and then the other 85% has been great. Yeah, I mean, it is actually successful, sort of. If I, you know, if I stepped back and looked at it, I would be pleased. Yeah, mm-hmm. I asked my spouse the other day. We were out together, and we're mm-hmm. we're sitting at a restaurant, and I asked her if you and I, from twelve years ago, because that's when we first met, right. saw you and I right now sitting here. What would we think? Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah, and I I don't want to get into it. What we specifically said, sure, sure, sure. But it's a fascinating question. Would you when? Because for instance, I never thought that I would live in the South. I came here almost in a mm-hmm. lark, and I never left. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wonder what fifteen years ago me would think about the me sitting here right now. If fifteen years ago you is sitting in Jersey, <clears throat> he's thinking, "Good job, bruh." Probably. Way to get out of here. I'd be looking at my tax bill saying, what? Um, So I would, it's it's a a highly mitigated disaster. How about you? Well, again, yeah, it depends on how you define it. I, uh, I would say a lot of it has been a rabbit trail that has, by no sort of intentionality on my part, culminated in some very interesting thoughts, some very interesting opportunities that I'm super excited to explore. I mean, again, I'm kind of, I do think, like I was saying at the beginning of the episode, I think along with a lot of other people that that I'm in the process of being prepared for something, and I don't know what it is. It could be a natural disaster. Gulag. What I hope I'm being prepared for is to be content no matter the circumstances. And so because of that, I don't know how things will work out, but I would say I'm on the path that I want to be on. I can honestly say that. I'm and I don't mean that like, oh, I'm going to be a big famous director. I'm I'm saying I'm I'm excited about the next decade, the next two decades really figuring out what it means to not be obsessed with things that don't actually matter that much. Yeah, there's, there's. Does that make any sense at all? Absolutely. There's just some light aircraft going overhead right now. Mm. 
they've got this. Uh, see, this is a perfect uh, sort of metaphor here because overhead right now, somebody mm. is getting airlifted to the hospital because they got Phew. in a near fatal wreck on the interstate. Mm. That's horrible. Yeah. And that, you know, we're going to leave this conversation and likely one of us will die. There's a chance. This could be the last episode. But see, that's why it's so important to not worry about next episode. Let's worry about this episode, there you which go. I would say has been good. You know, according to this book I just listened to, uh, qu- qualitatively, children experience a third of their life by the time they're eight years old. Yeah. Whoa. I, I remember that. Don't you remember as a kid going on summer break? It felt like an eternity. That is so weirdly true. And now and it's, it's the exact opposite. It's almost Christmas, my wow. dude. Walker Percy, baby. Not once in his entire life had he come to rest in the quiet center of himself, but had forever cast himself from one dark past, your childhood, that he could not remember to a future that did not exist. That's most people's lives, man. And on that note, you just wasted an hour of your life. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> if they're on episodes eight, they've now wasted eight hours of their lives. Oh, baby. Joke's on you. There are um, so many worse things you could be doing with that time, though. And let's face it, oh, you I probably totally were going to do something stupid anyway. They could be watching Big Bang Theory. Yeesh. John, this has been a real pleasure, though. Thank you for indulging my existential crisis, and thank you for joining me in it. Yeah, I feel like all I did was deepen it. No, you did a good job, and I needed I needed it. It's always good to hear where other people are at, and I'm glad to hear that you're in a similar place. And I, I have a sneaking feeling that a lot of our listeners are, too. And we, like we said, just a reminder, we want to hear from you. Give us one to 10 paragraphs about whether or not you think... How did you phrase it, John? I think you put it a really good it's way. It's got to be double-spaced, proper indentation. MLA Chicago style. Oh, oh. Chicago style. Okay, we could do Chicago. Um, okay, okay, I forget okay. what I said, but the... Yeah, the point is, are you doing it right? Do you think you're doing it right? I know there's somebody mm. out there who's like just about to finish up dental school, and mm. he got a 4.0, and he is very proud of himself. Um, but I, I wonder... If on paper you every you're hitting all your marks, do you still feel like you've done it right? Mm. That's man, what a great question. That's what I want to know. We really do want to hear from you, and this also is a, a reminder that um, we've got one more week to enter into the t-shirt drawing. Um, and uh, I think we, John, I'd like to officially announce that I think we have moved past Yamaka territory. Really? Oh, for sure. We are now rapidly rapidly approaching trucker hat territory seriously Uh uh-huh i'll be impressed if and when we get to 10 gallon hat we could be getting there we'll see 10 gallon hat or bust uh so yeah next week we're going to talk about locations and i have a feeling i'll still be thinking about all of these existential issues but the good news is that's what the movie's about and that's what all of our lives are about. So there are worse ways to spend your time. Yeah, I feel like you could just watch some Norwegian cinema if you want to lift your spirits. <laughs> Maybe some Russian some cinema. Swedish. You, know. you could read the Something you could read the, the Gulag Archipelago. Yeah, let's let's really amp it up here. John, do you want to start a sidebar podcast that just goes into great great detail about the Gulag Archipelago? I'm totally unqualified, so the answer is yes. Exactly. Good podcasts are never run by people qualified to run them. I'm probably the least qualified person in the world to be making a movie about, I mean, to be making a podcast about making movies, but I'm doing it and you're listening. So sorry. We win. Sweet, John. Well, hey, this has been, this has been an absolute hoot. It's been enlightening. All right. We'll talk soon. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.
This has been episode eight of I Guess We'll Do It That Way. The existential gauntlet has been thrown down. Next week, we'll be talking about Zay's search for the perfect location to film rollers. Today's show was produced and edited by Isaiah Smallman, executive producer me, Lil Johnny Bear. Opening song is The Get Down by Summer Dregs. Outro music is Man From Nowhere by Tom Paulus and Max Bells. Cover art was designed by Nate Giordano. This has been a production of Mama Bear Studios. Feeling the heat of the desert air The journey is all I know It's your boy